0: man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of PFT PM. Busy week this week. May end up doing four of these by the time it's all said and done. We'll see. Tuesday, Saints quarterback and future first ballot Hall of Famer Drew Brees joins the program. Not for an extended, no-holds-barred, extra-long discussion, just the standard... Hey, they're having a media tour because the guy's promoting something and we get in on it, so we'll include the interview here. There'll also be plenty of NFL news to discuss and plenty of questions to answer. And today, two items I want to talk about before I answer your questions. I have a feeling that the items I want to discuss are going to pop up in the questions, but I still want to touch on, first and foremost... The Antonio Brown situation. Before I get to that, though, let's just dispense with this one. Jerry Jones making the Zeke Who comment on Saturday night. Agent Rocky Arsenault telling Chris Mortensen of ESPN that Rocky Arsenault and Ezekiel Elliott didn't find it funny. They found it disrespectful. Sims and I pegged this one. More Sims than me earlier today. This is this guy's livelihood. He's holding out not because he doesn't want to play football. He wants to play football. He wants to be there. This isn't a game to him. And for Jerry Jones to make light of it, he's pissed off. Meanwhile, no signs of any actual progress, negotiation, whatever. Cowboys waiting for Zeke to blank. Zeke waiting for Cowboys to blink. And remember, there's a common misconception out there. I wrote something about this Thursday night because there was a discussion about the Ezekiel Elliott situation on the ESPN pregame show, and I hate to say it because I don't want to be, all, oh, hey, here he goes again, he hates ESPN. They were so wrong on so many of the things they were saying. But the one thing they were wrong about that Rex Ryan said, and I used to be wrong about this until Shereen Williams set me straight, Emmett Smith didn't cave in 1993. Wait, the Cowboys didn't cave in 1993. It's always good to get those specific facts accurate when you're standing on a soapbox the Cowboys didn't cave in 1993. Emmett Smith did. Smith wanted quarterback money. The Cowboys eventually got him for highest paid running back money when Smith gave in after two games. The perception is the Cowboys caved because the Cowboys were 0-2 before they got the deal done, but it was Smith that blanked. This time around, though, Elliott's not looking for quarterback money. He just wants to be paid more than any other running back, and the Cowboys, who had said via Stephen Jones in February that Todd Gurley's deal is the starting point for Elliott's contract, they're trying to walk that back and say that Le'Veon Bell's deal, which is less valuable than Gurley's, that that's now the starting point. Another point that we made today that I need to write about at PFT, but I think it bears mentioning, the fifth-year option... It creates problems for guys like Zeke because it's tied to the position you play, not where you were picked. It should be tied to your slot, just like your contract is. You get drafted fourth overall, you don't get a running back contract, drafted fourth overall. You get a contract that is in line with the fourth overall pick. More than the fifth pick, less than the third pick. So why in the hell is the fifth year option not the same thing? And then if the team doesn't want to pick it up, they don't pick it up. But there's got to be a formula that is independent of, irrelevant of, irrespective of, and as some would say irregardless of what position you play. Because I think if Zeke was making twenty million next year instead of nine. He's probably there because that money's guaranteed for injury, the fifth-year option, once it's picked up, and then it becomes fully guaranteed. I think Zeke's there if he's getting $20 million, as he should because he was the fourth overall pick in the draft. Something for the NFL and the NFLPA to keep in mind as they negotiate. All right, Antonio Brown. It's amazing to me, since I know exactly what's going on, and I've been in the thick of it for the last week, how people who just don't like Antonio Brown will twist and warp reality and believe that they are a thousand percent accurate when they establish their positions on Brown. And Sims and I were arguing about this today, and I think I finally got him to understand the point. Let's go back to last week, as of Monday. The grievance that had been filed. Antonio Brown filed a grievance that I think was very weak, very flimsy, very poorly thought out and very poorly executed, especially with that goofy legal argument that if you don't let him wear the helmet he wants to wear, you're going to be liable if he's injured in one of the safer helmets you want him to wear that argument from the first grievance was premised on the idea that antonio brown should be allowed to continue to wear his helmet of choice even though it's more than 10 years old and can't be recertified by Noxy, n-o-c-s-a-e and i guess the argument is well that's just a stupid artificial rule if the helmet is still certifiable then he should be able to wear it just because by definition NOCSAE says anything more than 10 years old cannot be certified doesn't make sense well Look, nothing against Antonio Brown. That's the standard the NFL uses. No helmet more than 10 years old can be worn, period. That's the argument that should not have been made. In hindsight, what should have happened, someone should have realized that this issue was looming, and Antonio Brown should have quietly found a shut-air advantage helmet that was less than 10 years old, started using that More than right now ago, and it possibly wouldn't have been an issue. So, I'm going to walk through exactly what happened and explain why it feels like somebody's sticking it to Antonio Brown, and it feels like the league is sticking it to him by moving the goalposts so they win. Because ultimately, that's what they want to do. They want to win. Monday, after the grievance ruling... I got an email from a guy named Tim Fernandez, who is a self-described NFL helmet junkie. He took it on himself to get in touch with Michael Oliver, the executive director of Noxie, And he raised the question that I kind of thought of, but I wish I had been more clear in it because it's a pretty obvious point. If the issue is the shut air advantage that Brown wants to wear is more than 10 years old, and that no helmet more than 10 years old can be recertified by Noxie if he finds a shut-air advantage that's less than 10 years old. Would you certify it? That was the question posed to Michael Oliver of Noxie, and his answer was yes. Fernandez sent me a screenshot of the email exchange. I reached out to Michael Oliver, and I said, hey, is this you? Did you say this? Because you never know. I wanted to rule out the slim possibility that somebody was making the whole thing up. Oliver said, I said it. I mean it. If there's a shut air advantage that is less than 10 years old, it would be eligible for recertification. So at that point, I did two things. Because I'm looking at this as, hey, it's a potential solution. Maybe we can solve this problem to everyone's satisfaction. So, I reached out both to the NFL and to Brown's camp. And I asked the NFL a very specific question. If Antonio Brown finds a shut-air advantage that's less than 10 years old and Noxie recertifies it, can he wear it? Simple yes or no question. I didn't get a yes, I didn't get a no. No. I got a link to the poster that shows the 11 prohibited helmet types, helmet models that are prohibited as of this year, and then a ranking of the preferred models. Shut Air Advantage appears on there nowhere. So when you ask for a direct answer to a direct question, And logic suggests that the answer to the question is yes, he can. Because the shut-air advantage has never been banned. So if he finds one less than 10 years old, he should be able to wear it. When the obvious answer is yes, and the entity that is fighting Antonio Brown's ability to wear his helmet of choice doesn't say yes, but likewise doesn't say no, and sends a graphic that... A fair reading of it leads to the conclusion that since the shut-air advantage isn't mentioned, you should be able to wear it. If you can find one less than 10 years old, that can be recertified. So I'm thinking, hey, this is viable. They just don't want to come out and say, yes, it's viable. So I told Brown's camp, and initially what I got from Brown's camp was, well, we've looked into that, but it doesn't work. So then I sent the screenshot of what Michael Oliver from Noxie said. And I was told, well, we'll look into it again. But it was dismissive at first. I'm thinking, boy, you're being strangely dismissive of this. And then, next thing I know, I'm told that they have run it by the appropriate people. And they've been told lo and behold, that they can do it, that it works. We just got confirmation from the Raiders in the NFL that this will work. Now we have to find one. And on Tuesday morning, Antonio Brown embarked on the search for a shut-air advantage less than 10 years old. Tweeted it. And we wrote about it. And Brown and Rosenhaus, Drew Rosenhouse's agent, were at training camp on Tuesday when Brown came back after being gone for several days, And Rosenhaus said on the record, to me, they found a few of these shut air advantage models less than 10 years old, and they're continuing to look for more. And everything I wrote about it, everything I said about it was under the premise of if Brown can find a helmet in his preferred model, which hasn't been banned, less than 10 years old, and it gets certified by Noxie, he can wear it. And not once did the NFL say to me, hey, Florio, you're wrong about this. You know that, don't you? which they've done trust me from time to time over the years when I continue to say something that's incorrect they let me know if I say something that's incorrect once that they disagree with they let me know they have people monitoring everything we write they never said a word to me about it and remember I'd asked them point blank if he finds a shut advantage less than 10 years old And it's certified by Noxie. Can he wear it? And they didn't say yes. They didn't say no. They just sent me that graphic, which doesn't mention the shut-air advantage. So it was Friday. I was at the grocery store picking up steaks and other accompaniments for a cookout we were having at the house. And I got word that the NFL had reversed its position and is now saying that the shut-air advantage has to be tested before it can be worn by Antonio Brown, even if he finds multiple shut-air advantages that are less than 10 years old. And one of the ones they found, I was told, was made in 2014 for a movie. Even though the shut-air advantage was discontinued in 2009 and they stopped officially making it or unofficially making it in 2011, they made one more in 2014 for a film. So they had multiple... Shut air advantage helmets less than 10 years old, and the NFL stepped in and said, We got to test this thing. And the thinking at the time was that the NFL was going to fail it. But, you know, sometimes you're given information, you're told, Don't do anything with it for now, just be ready when this fails, because the expectation was it was going to fail. But in the event that maybe it would pass or maybe there's a chance, there's no point rattling the cage by calling them out before they have a chance to naturally come to a conclusion. Well, the next day they came to the conclusion. Remember, the next day, Saturday, Antonio Brown practiced with the Raiders. But it was Saturday around 7 p.m. Eastern that I caught wind of the fact that the shut-air advantage that was less than 10 years old That model has been deemed unable to pass the appropriate testing. So what happened is the NFL had the 11 banned models. And now they were expanding that list by 12. That's why it was so ridiculous earlier today that Ian Rappaport of the NFL, at the NFL's behest, I'm sure, put out there that they're testing a couple of other shut air advantage models they found. Well, why? I've been told the NFL believes that no shut air advantage that is less than 10 years old is going to pass. See, what they're trying to do is add to the list of prohibited models without making this proclamation that the shut-air advantage doesn't pass. And there's a reason for that. The NFL understands where the flaw is in this. And this is where people who have an anti-Antonio Brown bias are getting twisted up. And trust me, I was at the front of the line a week ago saying, this guy is just pushing this because of ego and vanity and stupidity and stubbornness and no one's ever told him no and they're finally telling him no and he doesn't know what to do and at the end of the day surely he's not dumb enough to give up 30 million dollars in guaranteed money by not continuing to work i was all in with the idea that antonio brown is in the wrong here and as it relates to the idea that an argument or as it relates to the argument that he shouldn't be allowed to wear a helmet more than 10 years old He is in the wrong. It was a stupid grievance. Whoever advised him to file that grievance did a stupid thing. And I don't know who made that decision, whether it was Rosenhaus or his lawyer, this Darren Heitner guy that that ends up handling the various Antonio Brown legal matters, or the NFLPA, which is part and parcel of the NFL's helmet testing. But somebody gave him piss-poor, shitty advice to file a grievance over the position that a helmet more than 10 years old should be permissible when it's clear that that helmet is not getting certified by Noxy. All right. But here's the, the flaw. Here's the problem. Here's the rub. What the NFL is trying to do is cover up for its failure to realize that the shut-air advantage is a helmet that should have been tested. And maybe Antonio Brown was the only guy in the league wearing the shut-air advantage. But you know what, folks? Last year, it was Antonio Brown and the shut-air advantage on the cover of Madden. One of the highest-profile players in the league wearing a helmet that the NFL failed to test. And if the NFL had tested the shut-air advantage... And if it had failed through fair and square testing that wasn't prejudiced by this idea that we have to beat Antonio Brown and we can't let him create a loophole that makes us look like schmucks, then he would have been on notice for all of 2018 that he needs to find a new helmet model in 2019. Now, it's possible he knew for all of 2018 that the specific shut air advantage that he had wasn't good enough. Because it was going to be more than 10 years old the next time that it was due for Noxie certification. But that's different from your helmet model is now invalid. See, he's never had that one-year grace period that Tom Brady and others had last year to get their arms around and brains around the idea that they need to put a new helmet around their brains. And Brady was back and forth all year. My son noticed a couple of times. Hey, Tom Brady's not wearing his old helmet. He's wearing the new one. Hey, he's back in the old one now. He couldn't get used to that new one. He ultimately put the old one back on and wore the old one all the way through the Super Bowl, and now he's in the new one because he's got no choice. But he at least had that year. Brown's not getting that year. They're taking the shut-air advantage. They are cramming it onto the list of banned helmets, and they're not giving him a one-year grace period. And to the argument that the NFL should not let him wear the shut air advantage because it's been deemed unacceptable and the NFL is all about player health and safety now. That same argument would have applied a year ago. Think about how nonsensical it was that the NFL decided that 11 helmet models are prohibited But you know what? There are guys still wearing one of them, and we're going to let them go ahead and wear their helmet for one more year. We're going to give them a grace period, even though we've determined the helmets are unsafe. So the argument that you can't let Antonio Brown wear the shut-air advantage for one more year because they've deemed it unsafe, that, that does not mesh with what they did last year in letting guys like Tom Brady wear the helmet for one more year to have that grace period. And I think that's the fair outcome. I think Antonio Brown, who obviously is back with the Raiders now, and he responded in the way that the Raiders desired to the whole you're all in or you're all out routine, I think he should file a grievance. And I think if he gets lucky, if he gets a neutral, independent arbitrator who gets it, that person's going to realize the NFL moved the goalposts here, that the NFL is not treating him the way that they treated others who got that one-year grace period once they're helmets were deemed to be unsafe. And the NFL needs to take responsibility for the fact that they failed to test the shut air advantage when they were testing all these other helmets. They just failed. And now they're rushing to test it now because they don't want Antonio Brown to win. And I think if you make that grievance, if you make that argument, it is so much stronger than that piss poor grievance that was filed and resolved last Monday. I hope he files the grievance. I think it's a strong grievance. And maybe you get lucky. It's a neutral, independent arbitrator. We'll see how neutral and independent the arbitrator is because this should be a winner. He should get to wear the helmet for one more year. All right, everybody knows the risks of driving drunk. You can get in a crash, people get hurt or killed. Let's take a moment to understand some surprising statistics. 29 people in the US die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicular crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, but drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each and every year. And driving while high, just as dangerous as driving while drunk. 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs in 2015. And from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. Driving high is driving deadly. Stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. You put your life at risk. You put your license at risk. You put your freedom eventually at risk. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. Time to answer your questions. Getting right to it. Man, there's 40. And here's the thing. I. Have an interview on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh at 4 o'clock Eastern. It's now 3.27 p.m. Eastern. I deliberately set the thing for 4 o'clock Eastern to force me to get this thing done within an hour today. So I'm only going to answer as many questions I can until I have to go deal with the interview with the Pittsburgh station. And, you know, the folks in Pittsburgh are very happy to see this Antonio Brown thing implode, if it is imploding. As of right now, it's not really imploding, but still the helmet issue is there. And we've seen the way Brown is behaving and who knows what's going on behind the scenes. And the Raiders just have to be beside themselves and the Steelers have to be feeling vindicated because it looked like the Steelers got fleeced when they only got a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick for Brown. Now it looks like maybe the Raiders got fleeced for giving that up and giving him that guaranteed money. PFTP on Posse, how was your weekend? Do anything fun, exciting, or noteworthy in one of your last weekends before the season cranks up to full blast? It was kind of a last normal weekend for me. So I tried to enjoy it as much as I could. Worked. Relaxed a little bit. Played some cornhole. We've been playing a lot of cornhole. Had a cigar or two. Had a drink or two. Watched some football or two. It was good. Had the family over last night for our weekly Sunday night pasta dinner. That's the one thing I don't like about not being here. Well, I, I prefer... Look, if there was a way I could do Football Night in America from home, like I can do PFT Live from home... That would be perfection, but I can't. I got to be there with the whole room. You can't You can't do that remotely. I understand that. I accept that. I've been doing it for 10 years now. But I miss the pasta dinner that we have on Sunday nights, and those mean a lot to me. The whole family gets together. And last night was great. We ate outside and played cornhole, and I think everybody left by the time they were gone. It was 11 o'clock. It was, it was a good night. It was a good weekend. This weekend, we'll be in New York. We got some business on Monday. So this isn't a normal weekend, and then next weekend after that, that's crazy all-hell-breaks-loose weekend with the cutdown day on Saturday. We will be cranking all day long. Sunday, everything that happens in the aftermath of cutdown day. Monday's Labor Day, and then Tuesday, probably traveling to Chicago for the season opener on Thursday night. And then Sunday rolls around, and off we go for 17 straight weeks. Wild card divisional round. Conference championship, Pro Bowl, who cares? Super Bowl, and that's that. PFTP and Posse, why do you and the rest of the media refer to stadiums by their sponsored name? Shouldn't you get some of the check if you are going to give them free advertising? Like Heinz Field, there's no other name that you can call it. Mile High Stadium, you can call it Mile High Stadium, although they no longer have a sponsor. Remember, for a while they were sponsored by a company that didn't exist. I was calling it Vandalay Industries for fun. Some of them I don't get into the whole name. Some of the name is too cumbersome, or I just forget what it is. Cowboys Stadium became AT&T Stadium. The Viking Stadium, what is that? Is it Bank? is it bank of america u.s bank stadium oh boy got to get our sponsors right u.s bank stadium ford field what else you going to call it it's ford field it's always been ford field see I, i i remember like you know the first stadium that had a sponsorship i didn't even realize it at the time it was the carrier dome i thought there was somebody named carrier at syracuse it was carrier for the air conditioning company i had no idea so, I mean, the name of the stadium is the name of the stadium. Not that I'm going to constantly mention it, but the name of the stadium is the name of the stadium. I mean, what, what do you call it? What am I supposed to do? It's the name of the stadium. New Era Field, that's where the Bills play. That's the name of the stadium. It's not Ralph Wilson Stadium anymore. Now, the name of the stadium where the Chargers play, that changed early 2019. I can't remember what the hell it is. It's just the undersized stadium in L.A. So, I don't know. We just do it. We just do what we do. It's part of the value when you buy the naming rights to the stadium. People are going to call it that. Fittison Kane, who would you say is more sensitive, Aaron Rodgers or Richard Sherman? Without question, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Richard Sherman is sensitive and he likes to argue. And Richard Sherman is primarily sensitive about the fact that he did his own deal last year with the 49ers. It was a bad deal, and he got criticized for it being a bad deal. He's sensitive about that, and he's got a vendetta against anybody who was saying, what a bad deal it is, including me. And he's inclined to disagree with me on everything. Even the things that are helpful to him in the union. He just wants to disagree with me because he's pissed off because I had the audacity to point out what a crappy deal he did with the 49ers. With Aaron Rodgers, he's just sensitive about anything and everything. And he wants to be able to do these drive-by, pass-aggressive comments about coaches, etc. and not get called out for it. And he gets pissed off when he gets called out for it. So I'd say Rodgers is more sensitive than Sherman. A-Red Zone out. Who needs Ezekiel Elliott more, the Cowboys or Jason Garrett? Well... Jason Garrett needs him more because Jason Garrett's not the one paying him. For the Cowboys, it's more of a balance. We need this guy, but we don't need to be saddled with a contract that we don't want to give to him, and we'd rather wait till next year to do it. For Jason Garrett, he needs him now, and it's not his money that's getting him there. So it's Jason Garrett who's in the last year of his contract and may not have a job come next year. Just to do the fact that Colbert found two teams to take that ass hat is grounds for instant Hall of Fame induction. Well, the Bills wanted that ass hat, as you referred to him, Antonio Brown. Brown didn't want the Bills. The Bills and their fans are very happy about that right now. One of the things that I've wondered, and Sims and I talked about this today on PFTOT, did the Steelers know this helmet thing was coming? I poked around about it a little bit last week, but they were dealing with the aftermath of the sudden passing of receivers coach Daryl Drake. I'm kind of interested in that again. Did they know this was coming? And did they know enough about Antonio Brown to realize what a poop storm it was going to be? And was that a factor at all in the decision to cut the cord on Antonio Brown? They looked like geniuses if they saw this coming. James McDonough what goes through your mind when Antonio Brown calls an article of PFT super prejudice, despite that not ever being true you're the most objective site there is for the NFL IMO that tweet that he had from Saturday night that was directed at the NFL not us that was directed at the NFL's decision to test and not let him use the shut air advantage models that he found that are less than 10 years old maybe he didn't communicate it clearly but he's mad at them he's mad at the league he's not mad at us we're, we're, we're not uh, including Antonio Brown yet on the list of NFL players who have blocked us isn't it so weird that people will block folks on Twitter who don't follow them like I'll get it when we were following OBJ and OBJ was holding out of offseason workouts a couple of years ago but he wouldn't say why and I kept saying just say why you're not there who cares why are you afraid to say I want a new contract You're creating this mystery and then wondering why people are talking about you and wondering what's going on. Well, you're not getting the information necessary for them to come to the conclusion that they need to come to, which is you want more money, and he blocked us. Now, when Derek Carr blocked us, I wasn't following him. I think he blocked us because of when we said if he thinks he's going to be the quarterback of the Raiders as long as he wants, he has no idea how the NFL works, and I stand by that. Antonio Brown hasn't blocked us. Now he used to follow us but he doesn't follow us anymore. I've been very critical of him when it's justified. In this case, I believe the NFL is sticking it to him. At a minimum, as I said last night, and there, you know, people it's it's disappointing when people in the media will deliberately ignore the words you use just because they they have a different point of view. I didn't say last night on Twitter that Antonio Brown should not return to the Raiders and give up 30 million dollars. I said last night that he has every right to be upset. At best, the communication between the Raiders, the league, and Antonio Brown was horrendous, and it was. At worst, they're sticking it to him. And I stand by that. You cannot like Antonio Brown. You cannot like what happened in Pittsburgh. You cannot like what's happening in Oakland. But at best, the communication has been horrendous based upon everything I discussed earlier in the podcast especially if the NFL all along from last Monday through this weekend was taking the position that the shut air advantage had to be separately tested because that wasn't communicated to Brown until after the NFL embarked on the testing and after Brown had found shut air advantage helmets that were less than 10 years old at worst, they just don't want to lose. They're moving the goalposts, changing the parameters of the argument so that they can win. Sean Alvashar, how big is a, of a loss is Derwin James in L.A.? I think will really hurt from a leadership perspective. This guy was a steal for them at 15 in 2018. Great kid, great player, great leader, great everything. Stress fracture in his foot, gone for three months. That hurts them badly. And yeah, it feels like the Chargers are snakebitten when it comes to injuries, but that is a key, key loss for a defense that was ridiculously underrated. And Derwin James, I think, was on the brink of stardom. mean, he still could be. When he comes back, he could be. But this hurts the Chargers. And this is one of those factors that goes into what Phillip Rivers said about last year, that they could have won every game, they could have lost every game. They could have been 0-16. Or what, what was it? They could have been six and ten. No, they see they could have been sixteen and oh or six and ten. They ended up twelve and four. So many close games. Makes it harder to win those close games when you don't have a guy like Derwin James. Sean Alveshire, after two preseason games, which rookie not named Kyler Murray looks to make an impact for the twenty nineteen season? Cleveland Farrell, Jerry Tillery, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, and Damien Harris Damian Harris have stood out from what I have seen. That Jonathan Abram, I think, has the potential to be pretty good for the Raiders. Also, Josh Jacobs, especially if Brown is all in. You've got a double Brown, and you open up the running lanes for Jacobs. And, you know, every year, when it's time to project the offensive rookie of the year, I always look look at the running back because that's the guy who's going to have the opportunity to generate the most stats. Sean Alvershire, did you see Seinfeld was trending today in a what was better, Seinfeld or Friends debate? I saw something about that. I mean, Seinfeld was clearly better. Friends was good, but it, it, it wasn't Seinfeld level. Not even close. My wife and I watched Friends. I think in part because it was on the same night as Seinfeld. Remember, that used to be a big deal. That, what was it, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern block on NBC, that must-see TV, Thursday night, primetime lineup, and then it would go into a show, like a drama at 10. And for a while, it was... What was the show? Was ER the show? Was that the show? What was the show that had George Clooney... I think it was ER. But anyway, Friends isn't anywhere close to Seinfeld. It was good. It was not great. Period. Mike likes dirt regarding your exchange with Mike Golick Jr. this weekend. Why do people come for your neck for being specific, accurate, and appropriately critical? I, people people believe what they want to believe. People see what they want to see. And look, I, I you know yeah, a lot of people who work at ESPN don't like the fact that I twist ESPN's tail. Like they've got ESPN tattooed on their brain somewhere. And if you're somebody who has criticized ESPN, then they're looking for reasons to pounce on you. I mean, I've never had an issue with golick jr i I, you know i remember when mike golick when there was that issue when he was with what's the other mike mike greenberg and and there was something about mike golick using steroids and mike greenberg had had been on the record about how he hates it like i hate anyone who had a pony like that kind of thing like that that's the only time i remember ever even noticing those two. I never listened to the show. I never watched the show. I don't, I I don't know. I mean, I I think I used to, I think I used to poke fun. I used to, I used to call them. And now that I remember it's been years ago, man, girl and meatball in the morning back when they had a really high profile and they were doing football games and stuff. And it felt like ESPN was cramming them down our throats, but I was never directed at junior. So I don't, you, you know, look, there's, here's the thing for something like that. There's always a pretty good chance when it seems like an overreaction, when it seems like someone's reaching, there's some sort of personal animus that creeps into it. But that's fine. I can live with it. As long as the check's clear, I can live with it. Leapers 500 are the coaches we know of who makes the Hall of Fame. Belichick Lock, Mike Shanahan, his influence in the league seems underrated. Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, if he wins another, who else? I don't know for Tom, Tom, yeah, Tomlin, yeah. I think it may take some time for Tomlin for him to be appreciated. Because there's also a perception that he didn't get enough out of the talent that was amassed, Andy Reid. Does he need a Super Bowl win? Bud Grant didn't get one. I think Andy Reid's probably done enough to get in. Although he's only gone to one Super Bowl, Bud Grant went to four. Mike Shanahan, back-to-back Super Bowls with the team he inherited, and there's that taint of salary cap violations. I don't think he gets in. Of course, you know my position. The the league needs to have a bar that's so high that it's obvious the Belichick absolutely Shanahan meh. Reed yes Tomlin probably Leapers 500 did you watch Chernobyl best thing I've seen in years that boy that's a hell of a that's a hell of an endorsement Leapers 500 Fangio says the Broncos have no returner at all seems like a GM issue yeah I would say You know, usually when you have a room full of receivers, running backs, and defensive backs, one of them has the ability to catch a football, whether it is kicked end over end or punted in that kind of spiral straight up in the air and straight down way and and return it. Remember, Percy Harvin was a great kickoff returner. He couldn't return punts. He couldn't field punts to save his life. So they better find somebody. Dean Osborne, 42, how can the league office reconcile saying publicly that any helmet is unsafe for use and then let players take to the field for any length of time, let alone a whole season, as they did for Brady, Rogers, and others. Regardless of a situation, that alone is unfathomable. That is the argument that should give Antonio Brown the fuel for another grievance. Because anyone, and this is what Sims and I were doing today. He kept bringing this up. Well, they've already determined the helmet's unsafe. There's no way he can wear it. Guys wore a helmet last year that was deemed to be unsafe. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Tom Brady wore the Riddell VS4. Unsafe. Banned by the league. But you're allowed to wear it for one more year so you can get used to your, your next step in helmet selection. Somebody else points out that Virginia Tech Safety Lab deemed the VS4 a one-star helmet. The shut-air advantage was given two stars. The NFL allowed their marquee player, Brady, a one-year grace period with the most dangerous helmet available. A.B. has every right to be upset. Philip Rooney II, okay, let's say A.B. loses another grievance, and I hope he does, and decides to sue the NFL over the helmet issue. How much of a chance does he have at winning it? None. Because your recourse when you're part of a unionized workforce is to file a grievance you give up. That's one of the things you lose. You lose the ability to go to court, except in very rare circumstances. It has to be very, very, very rare. And you can also sue your union for breach of the duty of fair representation. That is a high bar. That's a high standard. Remember the union's part of this process. Now, I wonder how much the union was a part of what went on last week. Was the union involved in this every step of the way? I've been trying to get the answer to that question. It's been a tough one to crack. Is it the league? The league and the union? Or is the league spearheading this thing? Leapers 500, what's the justification for the NFL having one helmet policy for the league and another evolving and indefinite policy for Antonio Brown? I thought Brown was being bizarre as this began, but somehow the NFL has found a way to actually make him seem sympathetic. Yes! Yes! That's the problem! Because they have decided... To move the goalposts, they slammed the door on the helmet more than 10 years old. Okay, he came up with an alternative. He came up with a workaround, something that they should have thought of before it ever got to the point of a grievance being filed over this stupid argument that he should be allowed to continue to wear a helmet more than 10 years old. Then they decided, well, we got to, oh, you know, even though we've never tested the shut air advantage, we're going to test it now. Oh, sorry, can't wear it, fails the test. Mario Delillo, would you ever consider being an NFL agent or work in a team's front office? Absolutely not, as to the first question. I know how dirty and nasty and competitive the business is. And the union has been trying to reduce the influence of agents. The agents made the mistake of complaining publicly about the 2011 CBA, and I believe there's still a certain degree of retaliation against them for that. And there are some in union leadership the player leadership, like Richard Sherman and Russell Okung, who resent the ability of an agent to make a few phone calls and earn X percent of a player's contract, even though they refuse to acknowledge that by hiring a well-connected agent who has relationships throughout the league, that agent is in position to make the phone calls necessary, to get deals done, to call in favors, to tap into those relationships and ultimately get a better deal than a player could get negotiating the deal on his own. There is this strange vibe that the NFL Players Association is trying to make agents irrelevant. I've even caught wind of the possibility that most of these deals will be so pre-negotiated it's just a matter of picking a salary. All the other key terms that a good agent would negotiate for, they'll be part of what's baked in to the standard player contract. And then it's just a matter of figuring out how much of the pig each player gets. And the player would be doing that on his own with whatever assistance he could find or find somebody to do it by the hour, or whatever the case may be. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Uh, And working in a team's front office, I I don't want to go too far down the path of conversations I've had with others in the past about that possibility, but that is something that I would not be inclined to do except in the absolute perfect circumstances and the money would have to be significant enough for me to give up something that compensates me fairly well without putting me under the gun of wins and losses. There's too much uncertainty, and there's too few things you can actually control when your livelihood hinges on winning games, winning football games, with an oblong ball that bounces strangely and weather that screws things up and bad calls presided over by a VP of officiating who has absolute power over the game and sometimes uses it properly and sometimes doesn't. Speaking of that, I'm going to be writing about this at PFT. We've been focusing on the proper and improper application of the pass interference replay review procedures. There was a play in the Jaguars-Eagles game last Thursday night where the ruling on the field was an incomplete pass for the Eagles. The Eagles challenged and the NFL overturned the ruling on the field and made it a catch. And if you watch the video, the Eagles receiver was clearly out of bounds, clearly out of bounds, running in the white stripe, got back in, toe tapped, caught the ball, and went out. Now, you have to reestablish, and you have to not be the first person to touch the ball. So the guy came in and reestablished, but someone else did not touch the ball first, he can't make that catch. That's supposed to be a penalty. To take that play, which was rightly regarded an incomplete pass, and call it a completion? I mean, if you're going to have this replay review function and the people who are operating it can't get something like that right, when you're finding enough there to overturn the ruling on the field, when the guy's clearly running out of bounds and clearly no one touched it before he did, that's a weird, weird outcome. I would not want to have my livelihood hinge on that kind of weirdness. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, zero-sum game. For every good team, there's a bad team. For every win, there's a loss. And there's turnover because the teams that, that get the short end of the stick more often than not, those are the teams that look to make changes. So if you're working in a front office, you're subject to that vague twisting of fate that can potentially get you out on your ass, unless you're Bill Belichick and you've cracked the code on the entire NFL. Reverend Markworth, Mike Silver reported that back in May, the NFL had officially eliminated the one-year grace period for certain helmet models. Doesn't this mean that AB is out of luck with his grievance and has to just deal with a new helmet? Here's the problem. That's a fair question, but here's the problem. The shut air advantage wasn't banned. The grace period applied to the 11 models that were identified as being banned. So Antonio Brown didn't have the benefit of the one-year grace period to know, hey, this is it, man. You got to find another helmet. You can't wear the shut-air advantage anymore. That's the core of the issue, and that's why he should file a grievance. Dean Osborne, 42. If players entering the league don't want to be part of the NFLPA, are they allowed to form their own union and rules? If not, can they challenge that restriction in court? No, you're stuck. You're stuck. Now, there's a movement by running backs and no NFL running backs are involved in this yet, but there's a movement by running backs or at least someone who's creating a running back union to create a, a separation from the NFLPA under the notion that running backs are getting screwed by the current process. That's got to be an uphill climb because the NFL is going to oppose it. The union's going to oppose it. How many running backs are actually going to get on board with it? But the players who are entering the league, they can't say, no, I don't want to be in the union. Well, I mean, you don't, I guess you don't have to participate in the union. You still have to pay the dues and you're subject to the rules. Like the rule that you have to be at least three years removed from high school before you can enter the draft. You're stuck with that. Even if you say I renounce the union. Blunt and Henny, any word on Stafford, any truth to the rumor of Dontrell Inman to the Lions? I hadn't heard about Dontrell Inman to the Lions, but he got released at his request by the Patriots With Stafford, there's just something weird about this. Why did he get so much time off? It just makes me think something's something's going on. Whether there's an injury we don't know about, I don't know what it is. But here's the thing with Stafford. He's gotten coached by this new staff over the last year and change. Harder than he's ever been coached by anyone in his time with the Lions. And he's either going to take to it or he's not. So we'll see. Mike likes dirt. Who catches more passes for the Patriots this year? Gordon or Gronk? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good prop bet. May have to steal that if we end up talking about that on PFT Live. I'd go Gordon right now, because, I mean, Gronk is, you know, a missed meal or two from being Ichabod Crane. He keeps getting skinnier and skinnier. He's like that old Stephen King novel that was written under a pen name, Thinner, from back in the 70s. What was the pen name that he used, like Richard Adams or something like that, A guy was cursed by a gypsy. He was a big, heavy guy. He was cursed that he was going to constantly lose weight, and he basically lost weight until he almost died, or he did die. I can't remember what it was. That's what Gronk looks like. He's halfway through that movie, or halfway through that book. They did make that into a movie. I never saw that movie, but they made it into a movie. I remember reading the book in the summer of 1987. That was a hard right turn from talking about football. I got about six minutes before they're calling me from Pittsburgh. So let's see what else we can get to the laughing man five. Hey, Mike, why is Mike Mayock being the bad cop? Wouldn't it be better for the coach to be the bad cop and the GM to be the good cop? No, because the coach has to deal with the player on a regular basis. You don't want the player to be pissed at the coach. Let the player be pissed at the GM. The player doesn't have to listen to the GM. The GM sends the negative message and then the coach comes in and, and kisses his butt. And as Dean Osborne 42 points out, Mayock is more tactful than Gruden would be. Yeah, once you give Gruden the license to go bonkos, he's going to go bonkos. At least Mayock can do it. and Mayock's doing it in a way that the it came, it came across like the dad whose parenting style is to seem like he's disappointed. You've disappointed him. And you just feel like shit. He doesn't yell at you. He doesn't scream at you. He doesn't F-bomb you. You're just like, oh man, I really disappointed dad. Gong Show West, does Mrs. PFT have a passion in life equal to yours for football? Also, does she ever slip into her own, own version of Prison Mike, Penitentiary Jill? Yeah, those are those are all classified records. Her, 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 her she has not chosen uh, to uh, to make her life a public issue. So I'm not going to talk about what she does when I deservingly piss her off which doesn't happen all that often. She's patient with me most of the time. She puts up with a lot of crap, given this life that I live. So, I mean, if she has a pa- I, I, you know, she's, she's very passionate, and here, and here I am, I'm gonna defy what I just said. She's very uh, loyal to and passionate about family members, and is very involved with nephews and her parents, and that's what she spends her time doing. And it's been, not long after we did the NBC deal, that I convinced her to take a six months leave of absence from work and ten years later she hasn't gone back but she keeps herself very busy taking care of things for her family and you know her parents are both uh, one's 82 and her mom's going to be 80 and you know they got all four of their kids living within two miles of them and uh, you know they're getting older and, and they have needs and and that's uh, one of the things my wife's vigilant about taking care of so that would be it at Paul Fitz, to avoid a blindside block penalty for blocking a defensive player pursuing from behind, could the blocking player cut block the pursuer by diving at the defensive player's knees and turning like when you recover a fumble so your back contacts the defensive player first? I guess you could if they see it coming. And if you don't use your helmet, your forearm, or your your shoulder, I guess you could submarine the guy. I guess you could. I mean, the cut block is still... You know, It was explained to me a few years ago that the cut block's been around forever because there's always going to be a little guy taking on a big guy, and one of the only ways the little guy's going to get the big guy down is to uh, hit him low. I remember playing grade school football in the 70s, man. And I was defensive lineman, and uh, the team we were playing had these tiny little guards... So the tackle would grab the guard and throw the tiny little guard into the legs of the defensive lineman to knock them down. It was almost like using the guard as like a little bowling ball, and they would create this this cut block by thrusting the tiny little skinny guard into our legs and knocking us down, and it was effective. So I guess that's another alternative. You'd need a little more time to set that up, and you want to be careful, because if you do go shoulder, forearm, or helmet, you're flagged. It seems like really the most practical thing you can do, like what Ode Abushi found himself in the midst of when David Fales was being pursued from behind. The Texans linebacker went all the way around, looped all the way around, and then was coming toward Fails, and abushi was going toward his end line, which made him eligible for the blindside block prohibition. You just either gotta put your hands out or you have to go like a like a, a screen in basketball and just go straight up and let the guy run into you. Dean Osborne, Star Wars Star Trek or Star Wars, or neither. Star Wars, a little. Star Trek, I was never into. Probably neither. I think the more recent movies, there's so many of them now, they finally realized, hey, this is a this is a cow that we can milk more than once every seven or eight years, or whatever it was, with like a 20-year break in between. I, I there's too many Star Wars movies now I can't keep up with all that stuff so I'll go neither Frank Chavawee you never said if you have AB on your fantasy team last year yeah that that was the, the effort on by the part of my take guys to get me to say something about my fantasy team so they could use the cap or nobody gives a shit about your fantasy team NFL geek girl in regards to A.B., do you believe that there is a bigger possibly hidden to the public issue going on between A.B. and the league that goes beyond the helmet? It seems as if he's being frozen out, but I could be wrong. I don't know that it's that deep. I just think they like to win. And they thought they'd won, and then they realized, oh, crap, we're not going to win this. He's identified a loophole, so now we have to plug that loophole. I don't think it's about A.B. as much as it's about the NFL winning. Dean Osborne, 42, what do you think the late Raiders owner Al Davis would have thought about Al or Antonio Brown. Al loves speed, so do you think he would have put up with all this drama? I mean, I mean, look, it's the you know, it's the renegade. If you want a renegade, then you need somebody who's going to act like a renegade. Period. I, that occurred to me today. This is the classic renegade behavior. So I guess there's a chance Al Davis would have liked it, but at some point Al Davis would have said to Antonio Brown, "Pick up a damn helmet and get to work." CZ Walsh, should the NFL just show Al River on the video of the Tommy Lee Lewis-Nakel Roby-Coleman play and explain to him that that is what needs to be fixed, not a DB grabbing a jersey for half a beat? Yes, and let me tell you something. I need to write about this. I was told today that the coaches who wanted there to be something to address the outcome of the NFC Championship game, the coaches were adamant that it should only happen when there's an egregious foul. And they didn't want this kind of stuff. They didn't want Stephon Gilmore, Brandon Cooks from Super Bowl 53 being something that would be overturned via replay review. I spoke last week about the what the hell standard. One of the coaches was pushing the idea of the old Justice Potter Stewart obscenity. You know it when you see it instantly. It shouldn't take three minutes and 40 seconds to figure out whether or not there was a an instance of defensive pass interference. If it takes that long, it's not obvious. Dirtbag 1327. This is a great way to end it. Are you related to A.C. Florio, one of the co-founders of Eureka, Nevada? His ghost is said to haunt most of the town. As far as I know, I am not related to A.C. Florio. So, uh, you know, and, and I wish I had been more inquisitive about genealogy and family history and stuff when my parents were alive but uh as far as i know no florio's made it that far west a lot of the italians settled in this area this neck of the woods because the climate's very similar to the southern part of italy there are a lot of italians in in west virginia and and trust me we were not welcome a hundred years ago Uh, I'm not sure that we're still welcome now, but I keep to myself and uh, I don't have to worry about it. All right, hopefully you've welcomed us into your cell phone devices. I've got to run. They're calling me from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. We'll do this again tomorrow, everybody. Have a great day.